0: Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Sound Stories, an inspirational podcast for creative professionals and storytellers who want to improve their lives at home and at work. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli, your host and co-founder of Voices.com. Anthony Hare is a professional illustrator and animator who has created compelling visuals for The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, and The New York Times. Welcome Anthony.
1: Thank you for having me, Stephanie.
0: Your work is tremendous. you. You've done you. a lot of brilliant pieces. Obviously, people will recognize them if they've seen them. I did drop a few names of, of big publications, so if any of you read them, then then you'll definitely know Antony's work. But given that this is an audio medium, could you tell us more about your style and, and how that might come across to someone?
1: Sure. So, as a boy growing up, I was just very attracted to line work, any kind of drawing that had very simple and clean lines, I just thought there was something really beautiful about it. And I always did like to draw, but I I don't think I really knew how to draw for the longest time, I just sort of doodled. And so then when it came down to taking it a little more seriously, it was that early uh, line work that I would sort of absorbed into my brain that I kind of just had as a language, I guess, and I just knew how to use line to convey emotion. Uh, At the beginning, it was quite rough, and I wasn't that good at it, but I had a sense that uh, line was where I could do my best work. The early days were rough in the sense that I was able to achieve a certain kind of effect through the drawing, but I really wasn't confident as an illustrator, and I really wasn't able to draw. And Drawing is this sort of basic skill that you can use in graphic design or anything, uh, and it's really seeing with your hands. And what happens is when a lot of kids draw and when people stop drawing is what they're drawing is symbols. They draw, like, happy faces or, you know, sun in the sky. But they're not really using the pencil or crayons to, like, represent what they're seeing. And so that's what took so long. And in those early days, I look back and the work was not that good. (laughs) And so that's all I'm trying to say is that it's very nice to see the improvement, too. Um,
0: Well, we all start somewhere, right? And for you, it was going to... Uh, you know with the lines and so on but obviously you've you've come a long way as we all have in our careers and in so much so that the New Yorker is taking note and, and obviously hiring you to do this work so how is it that you would get in front of these people to first get a, a commission from someone like that
1: well when I was first looking at um, jumping into freelance illustration I had a sense that my work would fit into a newspaper editorial um, contexts. So I went down to the Globe and Mail and I had a, a little meeting with uh, the illustrator there. His name is Anthony Jenkins. And I just showed him my portfolio and I just wanted to get a sense for what he thought. And he just gave me very general but helpful advice about um, where to, to sort of shop my work around. And so that's really uh, how it works in editorial illustration. It's an unregulated industry. There are no, uh, there's no requirement to have representation um, and I literally just sent my work in the form of postcards to anyone and everyone I thought might be a fit. Uh, sometimes that's a stretch and sometimes it's not and uh, in the case of the New Yorker I don't actually know how it all came to be. I did look up that I sent them a postcard in 2000 and I'm, I'm not sure how often I kept in touch but then I got my first job from them in 2009. So it's really hard to say if they saw my work in another publication or if it was that initial, you know, introduction or both.
0: Well, that's really interesting because a lot of us don't know sometimes where our work comes from as an artist because someone may see you, as you said, in some other publication or maybe it just takes so many impressions. They remember you, but until they, they really, really remember you and can think of, yeah, I think I can use Antony's artwork here then they're not necessarily going to say Anthony you know here's a check (laughs) Who should I make this out to right Right. so um, that being said like obviously it takes a lot to kind of build up a business and and to to get a clientele but it also equally is important to differentiate yourself from others so how have you put a hedge around your style so that others cannot easily imitate it
1: that's a great question When you're younger as an artist, uh, you're very concerned with style. It's something that is like um, the equivalent of, you know, trying to figure out your life in your 20s. You know, it, it doesn't come um, as a choice. So for me, something I, I read or something I heard or things I picked up led me to believe that if I just kept focusing on the work and developing the work and treating the work with a certain amount of respect, that there would be a kind of a natural uh, style that emerged. And what would it be? Well, it'd be me in my voice. And that is exactly what happened. Um, I don't know if that's everyone's story, but I think that for me, it was definitely about drilling down. And then when I did that, I started to see just naturally where I was leaning. And then, uh, you know, you, you try on different hats and, you push the boundaries and then you say okay no pull back and then eventually it becomes this mishmash of the tools you use the way you work the the type of uh, clients you have and mere habit
0: you definitely have to have a variety of things that are you know working together so as you said kind of a dedication to what you're doing understanding who you are and and a lot of that kind of authenticity that you yourself can only bring to something that you create so I think that sort of like a a signature look a sound even for people in our industry is like well you know so-and-so can sound just like so-and-so but it's like well they can sound like them as in they're imitating the instrument but it's a whole other level understanding what the motivation is behind what someone's work uh, reflects
1: that's right I mean um unfortunately there are um pitfalls uh, that uh are any artist can fall into and one of them is um a kind of um inability to speak authentically now i'm not saying my art is true or anything like that what i'm saying is that i'm thinking about uh, almost in a second nature kind of way connections about uh, line and shape and and what I think looks good, but I'm not really thinking like, oh, it needs to be like this. Um, that That's sort of like top down versus bottom up. And so, uh, yeah, like uh, there are illustrators and artists that are known to be like certain other artists. And I think that's okay if it, if it's a natural sort of development, but I think if you're You're calculating it. Unfortunately, I think it can be just seen as unwieldy somehow, and uh, maybe not the best value either, because I think, uh, yeah, the authentic voice, no matter what the form is going to be more valuable.
0: That will set you apart, right? And that's probably why they're like, after nine years, we're going to take him on, right? Because they, <laughs> They've seen all these others and they're sure. like, no one can be Anthony Hare or, or whoever it is that is catching their eye. They have something that someone else doesn't.
1: Definitely. It's the idea that they can see the signature look. And I think if my work is recognized without my signature, to me, that's a success. And I have done that. So that that's probably the strongest marketing that I have in a way. Um, because then when people do hire me, it's not so much that, uh, they're looking for me to do this thing. It's that they, they can look at my portfolio and say, oh, can you do that for us? And then it just becomes this very like, um, natural relationship where everyone knows what they want.
0: Well, that's an excellent segue to my next question. Thank you. I like that. So obviously, a lot of the people listening are not artists, you know, they're not working in the world of vector images and so on. They're kind of thinking, I like that. I want someone to make that for me. So could you describe how the process works once you've been commissioned to create a piece and what the ideal scenario for art direction is for you coming from a client?
1: Yeah, so I like to look for a client that is knowledgeable and uh, professional. So it always makes me feel better when that person works for a company that I've heard of. Now, that's unfair in some some ways because I'm not a company that people have heard of. Um, But, you know, if someone is working for a magazine and they have a job, then they know how to deal with illustrators as part of their job. And so that makes my job easier. And that means they... Uh, give me an assignment. Usually it's an initial email to ask if I'm interested. The details are the size, the placement, what the article will be that will accompany it, and the overall idea. And then there's a small discussion, and then I typically provide pencil sketches, um, and then I provide a progress update after pencils, and then finals. It's pretty simple. And uh, what's good about that is that in the initial stage when they are commissioning me if they've never worked with me before they probably haven't seen my pencils so what I like to do is I send an example of my pencil work and the final that followed and then they can easily see you know, what my pencils look like when they're done
0: um, and yes, and I have actually been on your website and I have observed the difference between your pencils and, and then the actual work that you're doing uh, for the final product. And it is very different, so you do have to set people up for that. Now, what element um, in your creative process, I guess, is, is kind of like, how, do that, how does that pencil sketch translate into what we see afterwards?
1: Well, there's two, two ways I can answer that. And um, one is just to explain my literal process in terms of the software I use. So I have these pencils that I either take a photo of or scan. I throw them into Adobe Illustrator. I reduce the opacity of that layer. And then I just start a new layer on top and I trace. And so that's either something like I've got a very tight pencil that I'm working against, or it's something like a thumbnail where it just shows me I want like a body here and a head there and hand here. I've got annotated notes and arrows everywhere. So really it ranges from basically visual note-taking to almost uh, finished drawing that I'm then just making final. And uh, that process is very enjoyable. Uh, It's kind of like a blueprint, I like to call it. It it sort of sets me up, it gives me my composition, it uh, gives me my direction. What it doesn't give is likeness. So if I'm doing a portrait of somebody and I do the pencil, I, I try to achieve likeness but often the likeness of the finished illustration and the likeness of the portrait, it's somehow different. Uh, it's better to convey what I just said, which is composition, overall direction, and things like a dress and costume, like, you know, change the bow tie to a tie. You know, it's an easy thing to do when it's in the pencil form. The more conceptual thing is, like I said, it's just a, a way for me to rehearse the drawing. And then my anxiety levels about the assignment go way down because it's an easy first step you know pencil paper done and then already i feel like i'm halfway there Uh, because the next process is a little bit more technical a little bit more like i can set up my canvas and just you know my brain can quiet down a little bit and i'm just sort of you know getting things ready and then i can just relaxingly ink so yeah it's a the process is not just one for the client and the relationship, but also for me.
0: Yeah. So I, I like what you said there because it really is a journey you're going on together with your client and and for you to be able to draw, even if it is just the pencils sort of phase where you're sketching out your ideas and getting that composition, you have to know where you're all going and to make sure that you're going there together, right? Absolutely. Um, so what sort of questions do you end up asking people when you go to create something for them?
1: That's a great question. I ask uh, what uh, pieces for my portfolio do you especially like? I I like to ask where they've seen me before. That is a question that I I don't always ask I should say. I do sometimes ask it. Uh, I'll just segue a little bit into that because what I don't like to do in the beginning of the relationship is muddy the waters of the conversation with too many other things like my marketing. Mm -hmm. So if it's about the job I like to ask what they like about my portfolio only because that'll give me an indication of you know where I can go in my head and what kind of variant of my style they're looking at. You know, Is it the food stuff? Is it the cartoony stuff? Is it my really detailed portrait work? So that's a really good clue, especially since I have had to diversify. It's not just the same old headshots anymore. Like I have almost three different degrees of detail that I offer clients now. One is a very simplified version, one is a very uh, medium version, and one is like a portrait. Yeah, uh, I like to ask that. I like to ask um, obviously things like the budget, the deadline, and the history. So sometimes I'm jumping in on a job uh, that someone else has had to abandon, or sometimes it's been a long-running column that they're switching up, or maybe it's a magazine redesign, all helpful.
0: And you really do draw in frames like, like when I say frames what I'm I'm trying to say everybody is is it's like there's one picture <laughs> like there, there's not multiples, not like a comic strip where you've got like maybe 12 frames to tell a story you literally have one image one kind of like headline or, or, or something for people to gravitate toward. So when you only have literally one little piece or a big piece depending on, on the size of real estate. How is it that you can communicate through imagery in a way that immediately just captures people's interest?
1: I uh, Yeah, that's a big question um, because I'm not sure. And the reason I'm not sure is because there's so many variables and I never know whether people uh, sort of quote-unquote get it or not. However, what I can say is that that's where the trust uh, comes in with my art director. So it's my art director's job, really, to uh, make a compelling layout, a compelling piece, and that includes my illustration. So I don't worry so much about communicating, even though I know that (laughs) illustration is a communication uh, medium. I I definitely communicate, but I'm not worried about it. So In other words, I'll, I'll give you a very good example. So I did a piece for a magazine called Foreign Policy and the piece was a, an essay that touched on lots of different things overall it was about climate change and overall it was about uh, this idea that uh, even though shakespeare uh, was just a man who lived uh, many 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 years ago uh his work uh crazily as it sounds does have a universal appeal this was kind of the thesis of the piece so i was able to like draw Shakespeare thinking about a bunch of things. And so in these thought bubbles, I'm able to put in like polar bears on ice caps and the stock exchange representation. So in a way I get to cheat because I get to add lots of elements to one piece. And so there is a kind of a, I don't know, borrows from comics a little bit, but it borrows from collage too, where I'm almost in my real estate, art directing my own illustration. And so that might mean like, oh, I draw a burger, but then like I repeat that burger several times. And, you know, so I think I get it. I I have an easy way uh, of communicating through my style because my style is kind of literal. I'm drawing objects. I'm drawing things. So yeah, but there might be a metaphor attached to those things, but that's going to be driven home through the piece as well. So it doesn't have to live on its own. Uh, Again, I know other illustrators that say that you know your piece should stand on its own and and i guess these are all just ideals and aspirations i, I like to think of every job as um, an assignment with another person and so we're working together and so it, it really isn't um, in a void and so uh, as long as the, there's trust there then between my drawing and the 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 art director and the writer there's going to be some good communication going on hopefully
0: <laughs> yes and and of course you've just mentioned there's a little team a little crew right yeah. so there's there would be you as an artist uh, there's the art director who's kind of a, everything under control there's a writer who's who's composed a piece they've written something great um, so that sounds like a little ensemble is, is that common in all the work that you do that there's there's kind of a, a team of people collaborating or is that strictly in an editorial sense
1: yeah there are uh, some small variations to the team um The usual team with editorial is two. Um, I don't get to have any interaction with the writer, and uh, the the piece has been commissioned and edited by somebody else. So it just comes in fixed. And that's actually a really good point. Uh, What I love is the fixed points, the things that are not going to change. So, for example, the article or the copy, if that's fixed and and in stone, there's something very... uh, Uh, good about that Um, because uh, we can use it as a starting point Um, now if there's if the project is a little bit more complicated like um, I worked on these series of uh, cups for Chipotle where Chipotle had hired an agency to facilitate this fairly big project which involved many authors and many illustrators working on cups and bags so in that one you did get the sense that there were more people in the email You know, however, there's really just one point of contact usually. And I really love that. Um, When I feel like there's a crazy circus and I'm being protected from it, that's a good thing. Um, When I feel like I'm not really speaking to my point of contact, they're just a puppet for their boss or what something like that. That's a little more frustrating because then you're getting notes from somebody else. And there's a bit of um, noise uh, that comes into that uh, communication. So yeah, typically it's a one-on-one with an editor or an art director. Um, And then again, when the project is more complicated, usually there are some other people involved.
0: I liked what you said about fixed points because for someone like me, it's like, please give me structure. Give me something that I know will not change. I have to work within these boundaries because creativity does thrive within boundaries. Absolutely. And it makes it a lot easier for you to tell the story that you're telling through your pen or pencil or or a computer design program. As you know, this is what we're working with this is it it's concrete it's real Uh, what you had mentioned earlier about drawing more literal kind of imagery and and that that does resonate with me as well too because I'm a very literal person Um, some people may say gullible (laughs) but uh, you know like if you say something to me I'm gonna take it at face value I'm not thinking there's anything behind that so I do appreciate that about your style, and I, you know, you mentioned the hamburger. So I think that was Burger King, was it not?
1: That was the first time that I did a, a food illustration assignment for a real client. Yes, i had drawn a burger just for my own portfolio, for my own work, and they said, "Can you make a Whopper look like the way you made that burger?" And so that was a good example of uh, doing the work you want to do, and then getting the work you want to do
0: and that seems like a kind of a common thread in your work as well that you do work for yourself right like to kind of inspire your creative juices but then someone will see it and be like can you make that into a whopper he's like of course I can just watch me right exactly. and it's like I let yeah and you also have a background in philosophy I'd be um, completely remiss if I didn't mention that so no doubt there's a lot of depth that kind of goes into the thinking even if what you're drawing is literal
1: that's right yeah the philosophy uh program basically just uh teaches you how to learn about things. Uh, It it is not interested in any answers at all. It's just interested in questions and understanding what those questions mean. And and that's a very powerful tool. So I use it all the time when somebody writes me an email and they say they want X, but I I can tell they want Y. And it's not because I'm playing some kind of psychological game. It's just that when you're on the inside of a craft, you can see stuff that you can't see on the outside. And so when someone says something from the outside you just understand that what they're saying is this other thing and that's very helpful.
0: Yeah to be able to translate right, right. like you're taking one piece of information and because you've you've learned what it means to ask questions you know Socratic or whatnot, you you know that there are good ways to find out the information that you want and and also ways to interpret what might be between the lines so I just want to go back to the whole idea of inspiration though and like you know you drew a hamburger right and obviously you I don't know were you hungry like (laughs) what what was at the root of that inspiration how do you become inspired to draw something
1: okay so there's two motivations Um, the first motivation is practical I was uh, drawing people and portraits um for years and i still love doing that but i felt like i was getting pigeonholed and known as just the headshot guy and i had a lot of business and i still do of like kind of interesting you know here are the top 30 financial advisors in this region and you know little headshots of 30 those are kind of cool jobs to have because it's a lot of work and it's good practice, and uh, it's meat and potatoes, you know. But I, I was like, I don't want to just do that. <laughs> and <laughs> it's so I started. To, as <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah, like I just wanted to see what I could. This comes ties the philosophy into a little bit. Where it's like, what am I doing here? Right? I'm representing people's faces with like black and white lines. Okay. It's not the first time anyone's done that. Uh, it's not the last time. But then I do have these idiosyncratic things to my style. And I started to think like, well, what if I can just apply those to other things? And so I love cooking. uh, So I thought food would be a natural thing. And food illustration is a huge thing. And I guess I kept wondering why people weren't hiring me for it. And and then I looked at my portfolio and there's no food on it. So Ah, it it really is this handholding that has to happen where you're like, see, I can do that and it really is that's not even I shouldn't have said it like that because it's not even condescending it's more like people really do need things packaged and presented and I understand that I've understood that since I was writing essays in school you know that the presentation of it matters and maybe I I, it matters too much and that's why I became an illustrator (laughs) but you can almost uh, design uh, your portfolio if you take it seriously by adding items that you think will help expand it but at the same time people are like oh that burger looks like that portrait you know like it's the same guy did that and then you strengthen your brand so that's the primary motivation and then like the secondary motivation is kind of this thing that's happened ever since I've turned 40 or late late 30s I guess just this idea that I want to introduce some fun mm-hmm. to what I'm doing and I don't know how fun I was taking Things. like I, that burger that burger I drew I took pretty seriously and I don't know like I,
0: I wasn't <laughs> <laughs> how did you I, no, I'm no judgment yeah I'm just wondering because if I were to draw a hamburger <laughs> I don't know I, I don't know I probably would a smiley face on it or something like sure. I, I'm sure but yep. but I hear what you're saying you want to give your your work a little bit of just zest to it or, or something that well, entertains I actually, you. I actually did add
1: the happy face to the burgers did you yeah, really? so, so that's my latest thing I have this thing called burgers and fries And it's not really a franchise as such, but it's kind of like a collection of my work. It's a series of character, burgers with faces, Mm -hmm. fries with faces, and a whole menu selection of like, you know, it's just like a fast food uh, fiction idea. Yeah and yeah it's just like fun uh and it sounds
0: like let's all go to the drive-in and get ourselves a snack like yeah, that's a, you know yeah. that little pop. it's similar to the
1: idea of awesome. like drawing instead of buying you know yeah. i'm sure you've seen these books and stuff where people like don't buy dresses for a year they draw them or mm. uh you know draw your wardrobe instead of like it's just this idea of like um uh, why not just build some assets too and so uh i like animation i like that look i like what i i like having fun with this stuff and so, yeah, that's sort of what the inspiration is. it's 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 weird. it's just it comes sort of naturally.
0: So is it because you're exposing yourself to different things though like I, I'm just thinking um, about what you said about creating almost a cast of characters yeah. that you can say I'm going to use my hamburger for this purpose in this instance and you can always go back to the hamburger because you know what its elements are what goes into it when you may or may not use it and the appeal it might have um, so is it more that you've already built up your cast of characters that you just kind of say okay well this feels like it calls for the french fry today or like or are you just kind of of picking things up wherever you happen to go because you're just so observant.
1: Uh, one of the things that I was always interested in outside of my business was building up brands for no reason at all. Oh wow! So like that's I, a neat hobby. I just I just <laughs> like I always liked logos as a kid and and I guess that's pretty common. But in my like twenties and thirties, I bought something like twenty domain names. And they each had a brand. They each had a thing. They each had a, a mission statement and like a kind of a style guideline. And I was almost just like practicing because I felt like when I was working in, in ad agencies, I was using those skills, but like helping somebody else way more than me. And I just thought, like, what if I just turned those skills inside and not necessarily to launch businesses, but just for the art of it. <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy, but like that's the fun for me. So I, I, I – I built this burgers and fries thing more as a way to show, I guess, a creative professionals that I'm interested in iteration. I'm interested in branding. I can do it. If there were this fictional restaurant that was real, like this would be the branding for it. Do you know, it's like right yeah. there, the menu would take me a day to do. I've got all the assets. Like, So it's more just a weird obsession or like of branding and the art of it.
0: But what you're doing is you're creating order, you know, you're, you're, it's almost like a little world exists within each brand. And you as the artist or the director of, of this place, the the CEO or the mayor or whatever you want to call totally, yourself, totally. this, this, All this brand that you made up, yeah. <laughs> um, you really can have a lot of creative freedom and control in the same environment. And to know that that sort of activity help to feed you as an artist is great because we can all do this everyone can go into their own little world that they've created whether it's a language for some people it's a linguistic thing like in Lord of the Rings with the elven languages and whatever else right like that could be a hobby for someone and and they become inspired or creative uh, through that activity it must be very exciting to be able to say this is whatever it is and within this realm I have complete control I can you know make something come to life really and, and then when people see you doing that on your own just for your sheer amusement it seems um, but that does really feed you that that makes you a better it, artist
1: that does and it's back to what you were saying earlier about structure so when it comes from without in the form of an assignment one, that's wonderful you know I, have, I need to pay uh, for shelter and food if it's uh, coming from within, it's still the same principle. So I just set up the, the fence and that doesn't take very long. I just sort of decide, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I will do that, like the little tricks and like, what will these assets contain? And then, yeah, it's a pleasure to populate it. Uh, but it's it's that same dynamic of feeling comfortable within a structure. And it's also the idea of being creative within limitation.
0: Yes. You know, why is it that people might opt to have imagery over some other form of communicating their message, um, you know, like photography or video? Why would they choose something like what you create?
1: A, a common answer for using illustration over uh, photography is um, a chance to uh, achieve a little more universal or abstract a message. So... The, the beautiful thing about photography is that it is uh, painting with light. The bad thing is that it, it is that. And so if you want to uh, transcend that, then illustration is typically sought after. And that's any kind, you know, like, like I said, like mixed media collage or painterly or anything. Uh, and so you know, my style is one of thousands, but they all achieve that um, slight jump of abstraction even in the case of a headshot so you know you get 30 top financial advisors in baltimore then they could do photography headshots and you know maybe it's a question of economics maybe it's a question of quality but they know that if they assign it to me you know it's not going to be burdened by the tie that person wore that day you know or like the hair they had that day i'm kind of cleaning them up i'm it's it's not like a an yeah, it's not photorealistic. It is a representation, and so as long as the person in the message is fine with uh, the abstraction happening, then they they will opt for illustration.
0: Something else I wanted to ask you, and uh, just because your art does remind me a little bit of Alfred Hitchcock's work, and and I know how he would enjoy inserting himself, you know, have a cameo here and there in his roles. In fact, probably all of the films that he created. Uh, do you do similar things? Are you, Anthony Hare, hiding in one of your images?
1: I have played around with stuff like that for sure. And uh, the nice thing about line drawing and my style is that I can sort of insert uh, objects and things and faces. And I guess I just go through phases. I used to include certain types of characters in the background. Uh, I'd hide my signature sometimes as opposed to showing it. I would not have my signature uh, I've I played around with a lot, lots of different things like that. Um, it's fun to leave little Easter eggs for people to find.
0: So staying inspired can be kind of a full-time job, but, I mean, you have a full-time job. You're an entrepreneur. You have your own business. What are the challenges that you find in not only staying inspired but just keep going?
1: Right. So uh, <laughs> it is not easy, uh, and I'm only saying it that way because I did think earlier that it would be. Uh, so it's like a... Uh, this idea of a reckoning and the reckoning is, uh, insecure income. It's just not knowing, uh, where the money's coming from. It's just as, it's just as real as that. It's, I never thought that that would be such a big deal, um, because I can look back and say, well, I did, you know, do all these things year after year, but you just, you're living your life forward, not backward. Something Kierkegaard said. (laughs) And so this idea is that, like, it's just hard to know that you don't know uh, what's going to happen. I started off thinking that I would want to be a freelancer after I was laid off for the first time. When I was very young, the office closed. It was a big deal. And so I started thinking, like, well, what can I do to build up my loyalty uh, to employers? And so it was this idea of diversifying my offering so that I could always be employed. And so, you know, if one of my clients goes down, I'll get another. So that's good. But I have like 20 clients. And so like, I need all of them to be paying me for this thing to work. So that's the big one. Um, And then the second one is working alone. Um, I never thought that I would experience professional loneliness. I don't have social loneliness. So I didn't think that it would happen in my professional life and it did uh, straight up like i I felt weird as a professional I would be like less interested in um, going to industry events for a while there because I felt I was just you know becoming weird (laughs) so I had to change the uh, change stuff uh, on that front and yeah so those are the two big ones uh, insecure income and uh, literally working alone
0: yeah and a lot of people who are creative professionals working from home or freelance uh, you are usually alone and so I'm pretty sure anyone listening can identify with that you know whether it's you're the sole creative in an entire company full of people who are not you know doing that sort of work or if it's that you're literally alone you're working from a studio somewhere and and that that's hard and also just just not knowing where that next job will come from or if that client is going to fall through or go somewhere else that can be hard but but obviously you've come so far as as anyone here has uh, who's listening and, and has a client base so I want to congratulate you on that but but I also want to thank you for inspiring everyone with how to get over those hurdles
1: well the the, the strategies that you need are uh, more than the strategies you need for marketing and developing your craft so that that to me is the surprise so I definitely thought that it was all about 10,000 hours and dedication to the craft and focus, and then everything else would trickle. I now realize that you need real strategies for the insecure income. So for me, that's uh, diversification, always trying new things, getting into things like animation when no one was hiring me for animation. This is like growth strategy, right? And then for the loneliness, yeah, it's just about getting out there. And so that's what I had to do. I went to my first illustration conference this past summer and slowly but surely getting out there again and uh, basically taking what you said seriously, which is that it's not just me. Lots of people can relate to that, even when you're working with other people. And that's something I forget all the time, but I know exactly what you mean when you're the only one person doing something and that you're surrounded, by, that's almost worse. Um, And part of my professional loneliness was caused by how much I love to be working alone. And it is a job hazard. Like, I guess cartoonists are even more this way where they really just work alone. Um, And so I love it. And I love the control that I have in my little pen. But it's just something to to keep in mind that you can't starve yourself uh, from, from relationships. And you can't starve yourself from that professional network.
0: No, even if there is like a whole world going on in your head, which I've, <laughs> I've read a lot about introversion and just uh, you know kind of the delights that one might have that others oh, know nothing about. Um, I'm an extrovert, and I my my world is the outside. That's more of what I consider to be the real world for me. And going inside is not as much fun. Let's say it's right. it's it's not a it doesn't energize me. Right. Um. But yeah, I'm really glad you share that because a lot of people are working in isolation and they might actually really like it. It does energize them, but there is that danger of becoming too closed off from everyone else. Exactly. Couldn't have put it better myself. Before we go, I also wanted to just talk about branding. And I know this is special to you. Obviously, you enjoy creating brands and and even inhabiting them. So when it comes to other ways of kind of marketing yourself, perhaps, uh, how is it that you've made your branding packaged for others to consume?
1: I came from a graphic design art direction background and I um, do have an affinity for word marks and logos and branding as we talked about. Um, One of the reasons why I didn't want to do um, that as my main uh, trade was because I wanted people to come to me uh, uh, knowing what they were going to get in the form of something a little bit more... Uh, Concrete, like an illustration and a style that I could develop over years. Having said that, I felt like I needed more than just the work. So I set about creating a, a very basic symbol that I could use in any way I wanted. It didn't literally look, and this is where I sort of like take some creative license. So where my work is normally literal, I took my branding a little bit more conceptual and I thought this isn't i um, so critical that people can recognize what this teardrop is. It's more critical that when they associate that teardrop with me having worked with me, it becomes a kind of a, a comforting extra power. So it, it, it's this idea that like not all brands are the same. And so what it is for me is the special relationship I have with my art director when it's over and then they get my invoice or they see my logo or whatever it is. They're just feeling good about having dealt with me. So what does that mean? Well, I borrowed from very professional firms because I'm dealing in art. I thought it would be great to like run an art business like it was an accountancy firm or like an ad agency or something like that. So this idea of professional creativity. And so that's why my logo type and my, my symbol are so sort of serious, I guess you could say. My, my feeling isn't happy and friendly. It's clean and elegant. And so I've taken my clean and elegant and I've gone all the way. And I've just carved out like this super basic shape that basically represents my style if it were like a drop and it's like this distillation that goes on. And then I think because that happened for me as a distillation, for someone who's going to absorb it it's going to be more like a uh, like an opening up like oh i see it now like it's not going to hit them over the head because it doesn't have to
0: i love simple branding i do i must agree like not a, so simple
1: an answer well
0: <laughs> no well you know it sometimes it takes a little yeah. while to get to where we want to go right yeah. and and to explain the nuance and, and what's involved and i like the distillation uh just kind of this is what it is it's very essence its core is 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 that's what a brand should be. It should be immediately recognizable.
1: Well, there's like uh, unfor- unfortunately or fortunately, you notice things about uh, your output. So whether you're a musician or an artist, um, there are these things and they're like the building blocks. And for me, they're white lines, black lines, and basic shapes. And then this idea of curvature, and graphic black. So I just literally put all of those things into a shape. So it 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 actually embodies not just like from a stylistic point of view, but it literally just has those like it's like showing just the lego pieces, you know? That's all that it is. All every drawing I've ever done includes just these elements. And I think that's pretty cool.
0: <laughs> so do I. And I, I hope all of you listening do as well. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Anthony. You're welcome, it was such Stephanie. a pleasure to meet you today. A pleasure uh, meeting you. Now, if anyone would like to know more about your work and to see all this wonderful art that we've been talking about, where should they go?
1: Well, I want to say that not all of my work is wonderful. And uh, a lot of it is, uh, you know, it's hard to look at. And that's something that uh, all artists have to deal with. Uh, but I am proud of my work in the main. And you just have to Google my name. And uh, I've been online for more than half of my life. So all that stuff's up there.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. And, and for those of you who uh, are uncertain of the spelling, it is Antony without an H. Correct. It is Antony. And hair is H-A-R-E. Correct. Awesome. OK, well, thank you so much, Antony. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks again. Thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't already done so, I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, as well as give us a rating love hearing from you and gathering your feedback once again i'm your host stephanie Ciccarelli, and i hope you can join us for our next sound stories podcast